It's uh, wonderful to be with you today and to see all of you. Many of you are out of town visiting friends and family members, and uh, what a pleasure it is to be able to talk about the resurrection. You know, many of you are familiar with the character of Job in the Bible. He was an Old Testament patriarch, deeply loved by God. He was a good man that was overwhelmed by adversity. And uh, over a short period of time, uh, Job lost his uh, wealth, he lost his family, he lost his health. He was stripped of everything that we might consider valuable. And the reason that he was experiencing adversity was simply because Satan came to God. And he says, you know, Job only serves you because you've given him such wealth. And God says, no, that's not true. Go ahead and do to him what you want. He'll still honor me. So Satan went and sifted, if you please, Job. And he experienced tremendous adversity. It seemed like kind of a game that God and Satan were playing and Job happened to be a pawn. But it's really a lesson. The book of Job is really a lesson in the perseverance of the saints. We might call it eternal security. It just simply means that once you've embraced Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you are forever in the family of God. And you can goof up now and then, and that's fine. Just ask forgiveness. God is with you the whole way. Now, Job, for instance, he did have a couple of friends that came to comfort him. And they ended up abusing him, actually. You know, friends kind of make mistakes sometimes. But they uh, said his misfortune uh, was the result of sin in his own life. And they were unwise. They were uninsightful during that time. Now, in the midst of all of this pain, Job had a reflection. He says, if a man dies, will he live again? Now, we've all contemplated life after death. It's just part of being a human being. You know, we are not content to be just simply a a gleam of, of consciousness in the midst of two dead ends. Charles Brown, Yale University, he said this, There are three things I cannot believe. First, that God would create a a world like ours and then turn his back on it. Second, that God would create men and women and then desert them at the grave. And third, that God would plant a desire for immortality in all of our hearts and not fulfill it. Now, Ecclesiastes 3 says, God has placed eternity in the heart of his people, of all people. Now, we can repress it, but it doesn't mean that that it doesn't change reality. All you need to do is ask uh, the little kids that are running around here, uh, little boys and little girls. You don't need to teach a child to want to live forever. Children intuitively believe in eternal life, and that is a work of God in the life of your children. Now, that which is written... On every human heart is also written on the pages of Scripture. And God says that his followers will live forever. Now, a Christian's belief in immortality is always going to be grounded in the resurrection of our Lord. You know, the Bible says that Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits, and the resurrection of the followers of Jesus is the harvest that is yet to follow.
And uh, that's why the resurrection of Christ is really at the core of the Christian faith. Without it, the crucified Christ becomes nothing more than the heroic death of a misguided martyr or the pathetic death of a deranged madman. Christianity would be another useless philosophy if there's no resurrection. So Christians have staked their destiny on the fact that the shameful death of Jesus Christ there on the cross is not the last word. Jesus triumphed over death, and he grants those who believe in him that same kind of resurrection hope. The early church uh, was anchored by that. You see, it was the resurrection that took the brokenhearted followers of a crucified Messiah a crucified rabbi, I should say, into the courageous martyrs of the living Lord. It was the resurrection that gave birth to the fellowship of the saints that became the church. In those early years, Christians were imprisoned, they were beaten, they were killed, but nobody could make them deny the reality of the resurrection of Christ. And so what we do today is celebrate that which is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. Now, in the first century, there was a church in the city of Corinth, and Corinth was in what we would call modern-day Greece. Actually, it was on a little tiny isthmus between northern Greece, which is Macedonia, and southern Greece, which is Achaia. It was a port city, and there was a church there, and they had believers in the church, and the believers had a couple of questions. They weren't really wondering about Christ's resurrection. They were wondering, what's going to happen to us? Uh, What's going to happen if we die before Christ returns? What's going to happen if we're living when Christ eventually returns? And the Apostle Paul answers the question in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, There's a couple of things. First, when Jesus returns, Christians who have died will be resurrected. Uh, Is it possible for those people who have been dead for centuries, who have been put in the ground, the caskets have just been totally uh, dissolved, and they are now but dust, is it possible for somebody who is dust to be resurrected? And if so, what in the world are they going to look like? Uh, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And what Paul does here is give us a very gracious answer. He says in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, verse 36, you fool. That's what he says. He says, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. That which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body just as he has wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. Now, what Paul is saying here is that when you put a seed in the ground, the seed must die if it's going to actually bring forth new life in the form of a plant. And the kind of seed you put into the ground is going to determine what kind of plant that you get. And Paul is saying here the decomposition of the body is no more a hindrance to the resurrection of the body than the decomposition of a seed is a hindrance to the resurrection of a plant. 
And just like a plant is not identical to the seed, so our resurrected body will not be identical to our human body, but it will be related to it. You will look like you, only better. (laughs) And that will be really pleasing as I look out over you. (laughs) And I will look like me, only better, and that'll be a, a better sight for you to look at. So that's one of the things. Now Paul goes on. He says, uh, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. In other words, the earthly body is sown in a perishable body. It dies. The resurrected body is an imperishable body, which simply means it lives forever. It's designed for eternity, is the idea behind it. Uh, The earthly body is sown in dishonor. The earthly body has no rights. For instance, it's, it's kind of like a patient that goes into a hospital. We have a lot of medical people here at Harvest, and when a patient goes into the hospital, the stripping of his rights and the assault on the dignity begins when you hand over your clothes in exchange for a backless gown. And then it's all downhill from there. (laughs) Now, the the earthly body is sown in dishonor, but the resurrected body is sown in glory. Now, our knowledge of the resurrected body comes from the observation uh, as we read about Jesus in his resurrected body. When Jesus came out of the grave, we're told in the scriptures that he spent some time here on earth. He walked, he talked, he ate, he drank, he was recognizable. He touched, he hugged, yet everything was different. He could actually transport himself from one location to another instantaneously. He could walk through a door without opening it. So there was some sort of change in his molecular structure there. It was different. But Jesus was still himself. And we will be still ourselves in our new body in heaven. So what Christianity does is it rescues not just the body, not just the soul, but the body as well. So it's okay for you to be body conscious. It really is. You you don't want to do it in a narcissistic way, but see it as the frame that God has given to you and your personality and is really the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. So Christianity is really the, the theology of the whole person. A little bit of a footnote here. You know, for the Christian, death though unwelcome, is always beneficial. You know, you think back to Genesis. You know, God put the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, in the garden. He says, you can do anything you want to do. Just one restriction. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then Satan came in the source of a snake and convinced them that it's okay to do that. God's trying to keep you down and so forth. And so they ate the forbidden fruit and immediately... They were died. They, they died spiritually. They were cast out of the garden. And you know, when you think about it, after they fell, uh, death was not just a penalty. I mean, uh, 
it was also a very gracious act. To continue, for instance, of Adam and Eve, if they continued to live and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would live forever, but they would live forever in a sinful condition, and that would have been tragic. So what death does is it terminates our inferior existence and opens the door to something that is far greater. It is the gateway to a fully developed humanity as God intended to design. So Christians who have died will be resurrected when Christ returns. Christians that are living will be transformed when Christ returns without ever having received and endured death. So many of us say no hope that Christ, if he comes in our generation, we, we, we kind of hope he comes soon, you know, before the mudslide in our torso gets any worse or anything like that. We just will hope that he comes soon. But then let me read verse 51 of 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall, all no, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Very common verse for a church nursery. Then it goes on to say by the way. <laughs> what, what the verse really means is that not all of us are going to die, but all of us, the living and the dead, will receive a new body that's durable enough to last forever. And the transformation from where we are now into our new body is instantaneous. It will happen in the twinkling of an eye. Now, somebody who's probably a whole lot smarter than I am said the, the twinkle of an eye is the time it takes for the light to get from the iris to the retina. And that's been calculated to be one-sixth of a nanosecond. Now, a microsecond is one millionth of a second. A nanosecond is one thousandth of a microsecond. So it's going to happen in a big-time hurry. You probably won't be able to see it. But in one-sixth of a nanosecond, death will be swallowed up in victory and defeated forever. And all the harm that death has done will be undone, and all of the agony will simply evaporate. Now, that's what Job was thinking. See, Job was rich. He lost it all, but he was really rich, and he used his money well. He was a wonderful, wonderful man that loved God. He rescued the needy. He cared personally for those who were disabled uh, and dying. He brought orphans into his house and took care of them. He took power barons to court and argued for those who were underprivileged. Job was a magnificent man who had a deep relationship with God. However, because of the sifting of Satan in Job's life, everything Job had was gone. Uh, his family, his wealth, his health. Death was knocking at the door. What in the world is going to happen? And then Job thinks for just a moment. Job 14, he says, For there is hope for a tree when it is cut down that it will sprout again. Its shoots will not fail. Though its roots grow old in the ground and its stump dies in the dry soil, at the scent of water it will flourish and put forth sprigs like a plant. But man dies and lies prostrate. Man expires, and where is he? And Job said, you know, at least there's hope for a tree, but when a man dies, he's gone. 
He will not awake out of his sleep. Joe says, I'm being wiped out and I don't see any hope whatsoever. We're not like a tree, he says. When we go into the ground, we, we stay there. Not like a seed. And all of a sudden, this wild longing comes to Job's heart. And he says this, Oh, that you would set a limit for me and remember me. If a man dies, will he live again? All the days of my struggle, I will wait until my change comes. You will call and I will answer you. Job is saying, maybe I do deserve to die. I'm a man, you're God, put me in the ground. But he says, when I'm gone, I want you to put me back together again. I want you to remember me. I want you to reattach me. Call me, Job says. You know, the dead don't get up. But Lord, if you call me, I will get up. Now, where in the world did Job learn all of that stuff? Because the resurrection, he didn't know anything about that. He had no idea anything like that was possible. But he says in verse 15, you long for the creature you have made. See, Job, again, didn't know anything about resurrections. It really didn't matter. But the book of Ecclesiastes, which was written at that time, actually, maybe later, but actually, it says that eternity is written in all of our hearts. You don't have to teach any of us to want to live forever. It just happens because God has placed eternity there. And he says, I, Job is saying, I know your love is so intense that you won't let me stay dead. Now, is God for you every day? And the answer is yes. God is for you every single day. Does he remind you every day of your lasting value? And the answer is God reminds you every single day of your lasting value. Now, that's security. But what the resurrection does, it ups the ante a little bit. Quite a bit. It says, you know, it's one thing to say that God is with me, but it's quite another thing to say God is with me forever. It's one thing to say God makes me valuable and lasting, but it's another thing that says God makes me valuable and everlasting. So if the resurrection is true, then what it does is it takes God's presence and our value and scales them up to infinity. And heaven is the ultimate extreme life makeover. It really is. You see, heaven is not a consolation for the life that you've never had but always wanted. Heaven is the restoration of the beauty that you've tasted here on earth that explodes in greatness. Heaven is singing. Heaven is dancing. Heaven is eating. It's real life. And I know that that eating part is, is important to you because you eat all the time. <laughs> and I, you know, as C.S. Lewis wrote in The Great Divorce, he says that the resurrection and eternal life, once attained, will work backwards and turn all of our agony into glory. And that's a huge wow factor. You know, is the resurrection possible? Job says it is. He says, if you call me from the grave, I will answer you. 
because you long for me. That's what Job said about God. You know, an incident like Job's experience occurred centuries later when Jesus was standing before the tomb of his good friend Lazarus. You remember a little bit in the New Testament about Mary and Martha and Lazarus was, uh, Lazarus was the brother of Mary and Martha and he got sick and uh, they wanted Jesus to come and heal him, but Jesus purposely stayed away until he was gone and put into the grave and then Jesus went to his disciples there. And as Jesus was standing before that grave where his good friend uh, uh, Lazarus happened to be, he longed for his friend. But then Jesus looked around him and he saw the religious leaders and they hated Jesus. They were looking for a place to, to just where he could just be dead. And, and they, they wanted to help make it happen somehow. But it wasn't their original idea to put Jesus to death. It was actually the Father's, God the Father's idea to put his own son to death. It was God's idea to put his son to death because his love, of his love for his people. Now Jesus knew that the only way he was going to able, be able to interrupt Lazarus' funeral was to cause his own. Uh, he knew that the only way to get Lazarus out of the grave was to put himself into the grave. And so out of a longing for his friend, he cried out, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus did. He came right out of the grave. And then Jesus died your death so that you could possess his life, just like Lazarus. Now, Paul breaks out in praise in verse 55 of 1 Corinthians. He says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. See, if you die without forgiveness, then death has a sting to it. It's absolutely fatal and permanent. But he says in verse 57, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why Christ is the center point of Christianity. You know, one of the things I did as a dad is I taught uh, all four of my boys how to ride a bicycle. And after the first two had sort of matter, um, kind of mastered the enterprise a little bit, I thought that somehow I could take the third son. They're all two years apart. But somehow I could take the third son and just sort of uh, explain to him, and he would be a little bit more in touch with the logic of riding a bicycle. And, there, and I could just explain it, and it would just sort of happen to him. And so I talked to him a little bit about the gyroscopic action of the wheels and <laughs> how it helped you keep your balance and so forth. And then uh, uh, he really heard me, and I believe he understood everything that I said. So I lowered the seat, and uh, he was ready to ride. Now that little guy uh, believed, again, everything I told him. He understood all of the principles of riding a bike. But deep down inside, he had a fear of falling. And so as he pedaled up and down our little street in our little neighborhood, I was running beside him. 
with my hand on the back of the seat so that he wouldn't fall. And uh, as I ran, I was reminded again of the heart of little boys learning to ride a bicycle. Uh, He understood the logic, but there was still a constant fear uh, that continued to cascade from his lips. He says, Dad, don't let go. Don't let go. And here's the point. God is jealous for you. Uh, He wants you to understand that uh, he has not let go of you. Uh, No matter how far you've wandered, no matter how much you've messed up, uh, you know, we who are elderly, for instance, don't need to live in fear because we have a resurrection coming. Uh, Those of us in a difficult marriage who are so alone and feel so betrayed, uh, you have a resurrection coming. Uh, Those of you who are parents who are frightened and concerned uh, about a depressed or sick sick child, uh, you don't have to live under the burden of blame because you have a resurrection coming. Uh, Are you an anxious worker out of a job? Maybe a guilt-ridden addict standing in the shadows. Maybe a lonely young person just kind of longing to have a good friend, just longing to have somebody you can love. Uh, You have a God that's been through it all. He's been through all of that and even more. And he's walking with you right now. And he says, you know what? One thing you can count on is that I will never leave you and I will never forsake you because you have a resurrection coming. God loves you too much to ever leave you in the grave. So if you've been holding God at arm's length, you're just not so sure about this spiritual thing. You know, but it all makes a little bit of sense right now when you understand who he is that you can do what Jesus did when he stepped over the threshold and walked out of the tomb. And he says, you know, you can trust him as a savior. You can trust him as your Lord and provider and have your sins forgiven. See, if a man dies, will he live again? If a woman dies, will she live again? If a young person or child dies, will they live again? And the answer is yes. Yes. In Jesus Christ. And it's the resurrection that is the ticket, the key, that unlocks our ability to enter into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me for just a moment? Uh, Father, we thank you uh, for this season of the year. We can look back and think of uh, how good you've been to us. Uh, You've been steady. We've been a little flaky. 
At times we wander a little bit, but when we come back, we don't get scolded, we get embraced, because that's the kind of God that you are. And we uh, look forward, Father, to uh, this day. And uh, may we be impressed with the plan of God in such a way that it makes so much sense and that we can have eternal life. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.